All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to read the first nine verses, but we're also going to cover a little bit in verses 10 down through 25 then as well. But um, follow along as I read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 for the, for the time being here. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and you, you and your son and your son's sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you sh- they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I'm just going to stop there for the moment. <clears throat> Why I believe this is so incredibly important, if you see, this is actually, I pulled this out of, um, <clears throat> this comes from our, our statement for our, for our youth here as a church, for our ch- youth and children, children's ministry. And I want you to look at the, the part there. If you can see, there's a piece that's, um, in italics, in, in the right in the middle, it says, "We believe it is of utmost importance that we provide them, our talking about our children, with teaching that gives them the opportunity to learn and grow, equipping them with a solid spiritual foundation." This is just—it's so incredibly important. Um, I don't know how many of you follow follow along, or if you you read statistics about the the number of youth young people who grow up and starting kind of at the age of 15 and then on up who simply just walk away from their faith. Um, and it can, be, it can almost be discouraging, and yet there's a part of me that's like, you know what, that's part of life. It's, it's been, that's part, been part, of, it's gone on throughout history. It's always a part of us. Um, but, but what I want us to think about today is I, I, I did a little bit of research in Barna, Barna Research, um, actually, they asked the question of, these, of people who have walked away from their faith. They asked the question, why did they walk away from their faith? Why did you walk away from their faith? And one of the reasons, there were, there were, there were like six main, six main reasons, but a bunch of them were tied together really tightly. And one of them had to do with they never really, truly experienced God in the first place. And then the other side is that they never saw the people before them live fully with passion for the gospel. I don't know. Um, this is something that I think about a lot because I'm middle age. You know, when you hit middle age, you hit. They talk about midlife crisis. But what what I've seen in life too much from people who get to be my age and older. And I'm not saying that of the people here because I don't see it, but is 
we hit, we hit, it's so easy to hit a part of in our, an area in our lives, and then we just kind of put it in neutral, we just start to coast. And if people, if, if our children, my children, your children, the children in our church, if they see us as followers of Jesus who proclaim that Jesus is the most important thing in our lives, but we live half-hearted Christian lives, is what, what in that is attractive? What in that would draw them into a relationship with Jesus and for them to desire? Now, don't ever hear me say that if we do things right, if we live just a certain way and we teach a certain way, that our children are going to grow up and walk with Christ, because that's not the case. None of us is perfect. If anyone has ever messed up their children, it's me. There, there is no such thing as us doing everything right as parents and as, and as a church in teaching our children that will guarantee a result. But just what I want for us is to let it not be said of us that we didn't teach, that we didn't equip the next generation. After that, no matter what, no, as, when, I, when I look, think about it as parents, no matter if I, how bad of a parent I am, or no matter how good of a parent I am, it is by God's grace when our children walk with Him. By His grace and by His grace alone. So, just be, be sure to hear me when I, when I talk about this. In the, our teaching never guarantees a certain result. But we are required and asked of God to teach as parents, but also as a church. Now, in the verses that I just read, three things that, three things that I want us to, to think about with this portion, and the first one is simply, is simply this, that I, I, I'm calling it discipleship. Discipleship, or teaching the next generation, is something that has to come from our hearts. It has to come from here. You and I cannot give anything to anyone that we haven't first received. I cannot love you if I have not first received love from my Father. We cannot give, we cannot teach, we cannot have a passion for Christ or teach a passion for Christ if we haven't first received it, if we haven't first lived it. And I want you to to notice where he says in verse 4, that's probably one of the most common verses in all of Deuteronomy, and actually ties in so well with the f- series in First John, where we talked about how John always goes back to that first command, that one command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he follows it, and these words I command you, and he's talking to, the, to you today like... He's talking not to the children that we're teaching, but to those of us who are to teach. He says, they shall be on your heart. It has to start with what's going on in my heart and what's going on in your heart. And if that's not enough, go on down to verse 20. I just want to read verse 20 for us really quick. Verse 20 says, And when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of following God's laws and obeying His commands of walking with Him? Why do you live your life as you do? Does the life that I live beg the question from my children, why do you do that? 
What is it in your life? Why do you follow God? Why do you walk with God? It begs a question, some kind of question. Um, and then, and that right after that in verse 20, he says, and when they ask you, you tell them about how I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I set you free from the bondage that you were in. That is your story of God delivering you and I and saving us. The deliverance from our bondage that we were in. That is the greatest story, the greatest teaching that we can give to the next generation is to live in the freedom and tell them about what God has done for us. It has to start here. And it doesn't happen two hours Sunday morning. It doesn't happen in 10 minutes a day in devotions at home. I came across this quote. Um, it says this, Religion wants a couple hours on Sunday morning. A relationship with Jesus is all day, every day. That is what teaches the relationship with Jesus every day. Now, you see I've got a slide up here. This goes back to verse 1. And I just, I just put this up here. And if this bores you, if you don't like this, just ignore this. But I want us to see this, this is the word that is used in verse 1 when Mo, God tells Moses, you are to teach the people. And it simply means to learn or to train or to exercise. And just basically how we think of teaching. It means we learn, we grow in it, and we understand it. We, we know why we do what we do. How then should we teach our children? It says in verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. What are we to teach diligently? Verse 5, or verse 4, I'm sorry. No, it's verse 5. You shall love the Lord with God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. <clears throat> but notice this. I, this struck me as I, as I studied this passage. This is a word that is used for to teach. And it's actually in, in the Hebrew, the shall teach them diligently is all translated. That whole phrase is translated with the word teach. Or, uh, yeah, it's translated in, in our English Bibles as teach. Some translations will use the word repeat um, to, to say it over and over and over again. And I think that, that it fits it well. But the word itself, it means to sharpen. To sharpen or to wet, which is to sharpen a sword or, a sword or an arrow. And if you, if you look up this word and the ways that it's used throughout the Old Testament, there's maybe half a dozen, half a dozen references to it. In almost every case, it's talking about sharpening an arrow, preparing an arrowhead for battle, or preparing, sharpening your sword. And it, has, it carries with it this idea of when you, when you sharpen an arrowhead, I don't know if, how, how many of you have ever found an arrowhead out in the field. My dad had found a whole bunch. He'd find them in our, in our fields as a kid growing up. And I was always intrigued you see, they're not these nice, smooth, smooth arrowheads that we are manufactured now, right? But they're, they're cut. They're cut with a stone over and over and over and over and over and over again till they get the shape and the consistency and the sharpness that I want, and I th that they want. <clears throat> 
And I don't think it's coincidence that this is the word that's used when he talks about how, how we are to teach and train the next generation. Because Scripture refers to our children as arrows. Arrow, we're arrows in the hands of a warrior. And if you think about your children as an arrow... And as you equip and we train and we, um, we teach them, it's this sharpening with intentional, intentional and a lot of precision over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the idea is that it becomes simply consuming, all-consuming. It's an everyday part of your life. And I think it, it fits so well with this idea that religion doesn't happen, or religion says that you give God two hours on a Sunday morning, but a relationship says we give God every day, every hour of every day. And as I think about the equipping and teaching our children, and in driving this truth home to them, it doesn't happen, like I said, in two hours on Sunday morning, but neither does it happen in 10 minutes in a devotional time at home, even if you do it every day. It's got to be more. I want to be so careful in how I say this, because family worship time is important. It, has, it needs to be there. Where we read Scripture, where we pray together, that is so, so important. So don't hear me saying to stop doing that. But if, if we do that, if we in our homes do that, say give it 10 minutes, whatever. But that is the extent. We, and we take it as, okay, that's done. So that part of my day is done. And now I go about and I do everything else. Then I think we've missed the point. Do you notice the way that he says we are to sharpen our children, sharpen and drive home the truth in our children's lives. He says we are to do it. This is in verse 7. And this is where he, he just doesn't, he doesn't tell us to do it. He tells us how to do it. He says, not just in 10 minutes of prayer time every day, then check the box and go on. He says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you lay down. Or what, yeah, when you lay down and when you rise up. The idea is, it is to consume every little bit of our day. And our children, our children observe, they, our children are such great observers. They can catch us, they catch us quickly when we just do things to check off the box. But when we go throughout the day, I, I would dare to bet that the best conversations that we ever have with our children don't happen just when we have devotions. But they happen throughout the day when we talk about real-life things. They happen in devotions, don't get me wrong. But they happen as you're driving down the road. Be intentional. Be present. Be present with your children. This is hard. This is hard for me because I'm always thinking about the next thing that I need to be doing. But when, when you're sitting in your house, when you're, when you're sitting together for a meal, what, what am I going to say? Right? Put the phones away. Right? Look at each other. Talk. Have those conversations. 
when you're sitting around in the evening, when you're spending time together, when you're driving down the road, when you're going on a walk, whatever it is, all of those times, every one of those times are teaching opportunities. Those are the times when the teaching really hits home. It's really driven into their lives, where, where it's every day, it's an everyday thing, it's an all-day thing in my life, in your life. When you rise up or when you go to bed, it's the last thing in your mind, it's the last words out of your mouth. When you get up, it's the first thing that is on your mind. How many of you, well, I won't ask you to raise your hands, first thing in the morning, want to grab your phone and check email or check the news or whatever. What, what's the first thing that should be on my heart and on my mind when I get up in the morning? It, this, this loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind is an all-consuming passion that needs to be gripping every piece of our lives. <clears throat> he goes on then and he talks about tie them, bind them as a sign on your hand. I think that's simply, we could talk about how, how they did. They would tie verses to their hands and all that. But it's whatever your hand finds to do, whatever actions that you are doing throughout your day, that God is at the forefront of that. Like I said, our children pick up very quickly whether we do what we say. Our actions probably speak or preach louder than our words do. You can say what you will, but if it's not followed by action, it carries very little weight. Your actions will tell your children what you really value. And one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is simply to be present every moment of every day, to be present. Then he talks about, he says, in, this, I'm down in verse 8, or verse 9, 8 and 9. You should bind them on, on your head, on your forehead, so that God's Word, His commands, to love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is the first and foremost in your head and your mind. And on your doorposts, you're coming and going as you go in and out of your home. Every part of your life, that, that, that idea of sharpening and driving home the truth driving home who God is and obedience to God, all that, just driving that home is to consume every part of my life and then it becomes a part of every life. That's how you teach. That's how we are to teach. And it's why we must disciple our next generation. Now, I do want to touch just a little bit here in closing on verses 10 to 19 yet. Um. So he tells us what we are to teach, and he tells us how we are to teach. And then I think in in 10 to 19, we can get a couple of things as to why we are to teach. Why we are to teach our our children. I'm not going to take the time just to read the whole whole of the text here. Um, But the reality is it talks about when when God, God is telling them, when you come into the land, when you, when you possess the land and you've got all these good things that are happening in your life, all this life is beginning to happen that you don't forget, that you don't forget. 
And that's, that's what I want us to remember because, well, that was no pun intended, don't forget. I want us to remember that, don't forget. Over and over, it's why it needs to consume our lives because when life happens, when we get buried in work, we get buried in all, this, all kinds of other stuff, hard things, good things, whatever it may be, if it's not consuming in our lives before that, we will so quickly, and we do so quickly forget. Another reason why it is important that we disciple our children and teach the next generation is because if we don't, someone else will. Think about that. Whatever it is that you want your children to know and to learn, we need to teach them because someone is going to teach them. Someone's going to tell your children about what they should value, the things they should value. They're going to get information about life somewhere. If you don't teach your children about money, about sex, about pornography, or about transgender... These are real-life issues. If we don't teach and instill these values in our children, someone else will. God's call is for us as parents and as a church to instill the truth of God's Word in our children because someone will, always someone will. And God has commanded us that that is what we need to be doing so that we don't forget who God is. Now I want to close with down in verse 15. I was kind of struck with this thought, and hopefully this doesn't confuse us here at the end. But in verse 15 it says, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. And if you, the ESV has that, that for the Lord your God is a jealous God, is in parentheses. And so that is, to me what, it, what it's saying is that for the Lord your God is a jealous God is because of all this stuff that he's talking about before us, before it. But what does it mean that God is a jealous God? I, I, I struggle with that one because when we think of jealousy, it's always negative. Don't be jealous of someone else. Um, but here again, oh, I don't have that up here. Here's, oh, that's just the last text. Um, the word jealous, we always think of it as a verb. It's something that we do. When it says here that God is a jealous God, it's used, it's an adjective. And that's how it's used all throughout the Old Testament. I think in every case that I looked at in the Old Testament where the word, where it says that God is a jealous God, it's an adjective that's describing God, and it's always used exclusively of God. The word is never used to describe anyone else or anything else but God. And it simply means it's an adjective or a title used exclusively of God, focusing on His desire for exclusive relationship with you and I. That's why we teach. Because God desires an exclusive relationship with you and I. And he says, he says, look at, look at what I did. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of bondage. I'm the one who has given you all the good things that you enjoy in life. And I want an exclusive relationship with you because I love you. And that is what we teach our children, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Let me just close reminding us again that it is it is only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. The, the next generation is given to us and we have them to shape, to sharpen for a short period of time. And we need to take that seriously. We need to take that responsibility seriously and honestly in our hearts. But it is always by God's grace. Because if God can take broken, messed up people like us, and we, as broken, messed up people, can bring something good into the lives of our children, it's not because I accomplished something. It's because of His grace. And so our children never, ever expect or require perfection from us. What they need to see is consistency. They need to see us living a life that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Can we do that together as a church in shaping our next generation? Thank you. You can stand. Worship team, you can come forward. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the special day as we look at our children, as we look at the next generation, God. Give us the ability, give us the the love for you that um, somehow it it just oozes out of us that we would live lives that are wholly and fully in love with you and that you consume every part of every day of our lives and that that is how we can teach, that we can train and we can equip the next generation for you. We give ourselves to you. We give our children to you, God. We hold them with open hands. We ask that you would do mighty things in our lives and in their lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen.